chicken dinner. Yes, welcome everyone to the Soccer Capital Podcast. We are here to talk about the U.S. men's national team. Rather exciting and exhausting victory over Mexico in the final of the nascent Nations League uh, for CONCACAF. And it was definitely a CONCACAF game. Yeah, very excited to talk about this one. The boys came in and they woke up and they wanted chaos and that's what we got. Uh, There was chaos everywhere. It was fun. And uh, also, this was your first competitive U.S.-Mexico game, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, first one I've seen, I think, ever. Um, I don't know. I might not have even seen highlights before. Uh, that was all. That was all happening before I got into the game. So, and uh, boy, did you pick a good one for this one? <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> maybe the best one we've. Uh, maybe the best one we've ever seen. So there's not a lot to do other than to really jump into this mess. Let us start off by uh, looking at some of the things that we were looking for coming into this game, coming off of the uh, 1-0 uh, victory of uh, the U.S. over Honduras in the semifinals of the uh, Nations League. And one thing to look for with this very young team that came in, uh, their average age was 24 years per player, whereas Mexico was 28 years. So they're lacking in uh, veteran knowledge coming into this game. And uh, that's four years difference. That's an entire World Cup cycle. So that's a difference in the age and gives you an idea just how young this U.S. team is. And so we were looking for, well, were they going to have the necessary mental toughness to uh, compete against Mexico in a final? That's sometimes been the case for the U.S. Lately, it has not. We were looking for that, and I have to say the judgment on that was they passed it in flying colors. Absolutely. We saw shades of it in the Honduras game when they uh, had been fighting the whole game and then came through, broke through at the very end to pull off that 1-0 win. But uh, we hadn't seen it much before that. Brief flashes here and there, but here we really saw it come through. Yeah, I was also looking to see if the team was able to come off of their, really their first competitive game with this lineup that they'd ever had. Uh, and uh, see if they gelled a little better, if they were more in sync. I'd often seen that they would have ideas, but they didn't understand quite how the other players, their teammates, were making runs or going to be in what spots. It got better. You could actually see the team grow in that, but that's something that's going to take time. They are by no means the finished product, but I did see improvement, especially in the second half on that. So they are growing and learning as they go, as you would expect from such a talented and accomplished team. Also looking to see if there was more defensive awareness, being able to spot out when trouble was coming instead of having to just react when the trouble is there. Uh, Not so sure on that. That's a work in progress and usually takes uh, years of veteran experience as well. You get burned so many times till you start to look for what's coming. Mixed results on that end, but the job got done. Yes. And also, the, Greg Berhalter, the coach, came in with a uh, formation change. He decided to go with a three-man back line and the two cornerbacks. It was a 5-2-3 nominal setup on that. Tim Ream came in to play as the uh, third center back on the uh, left, with uh, Des playing as a wing back in this case. And uh, what was the answers on that? Was that better? I'm not so sure. But they're still learning how they're going to play. And uh, there's also issues here because of the way that uh, this is set up with the Nations League now. Gold Cup starting in, what, two, three weeks? And uh, this team is the European-based team. A lot of the A-listers here. But they can't play in both this or the Gold Cup. Plus, for the European-based teams, uh, when the Gold Cup finishes, they would already be deep into training with their club teams over in Europe. 
So this has been set up. This one was set up for the European-based players, and the Gold Cup will be mostly MLS players. Uh, how the backline works when you bring in certain MLS players, cornerbacks, backline. I'm especially looking at Walker Zimmerman from Nashville FC. See if uh, that uh, is another option going into World Cup qualifiers that Berhalter can use to tighten up the backline defense. But these were just thoughts and observations overall that we saw. What actually happened during the game was nerds. It was a mess. Uh, One of the most fun messes I've ever seen, but a mess front to back. And it started right off the get-go. I think it was about a minute and 10 seconds into the game. Uh, The U.S. had snuffed out a chance for Mexico, just general possession. And Mark McKenzie takes the ball and decides to pass it out. I believe it was to DeAndre Yedlin. Uh, Lazy, lazy pass, picked off. And very quickly, Chucky Lozano shoots it straight over Zach Steffen's head with a beautiful strike. Nothing Steffen could do. And it's one nothing at the very start. Dream start for Mexico and look to be a disaster for the U.S. Yeah, I, I pretty much said that the game was over and went to walk out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, it did not go that way. The U.S., Zach Steffen, Weston McKinney in particular, rallied the troops together. And they uh, pretty much got back on their game right away. That's part of that mental toughness I was looking for. And they showed it. They didn't get down too much. Came back at it. Started fighting. And got more into the game after that. Yeah. One thing that we saw a lot from post-game analysis was people asking if this lit a fire under the U.S. And we didn't get to see the team play at all. It happened in the first minute. So that's impossible to say. My takeaway from it was that they were faced with two options there. They could either, you know, try to defend, turtle down, and basically lose the game 1-0, or they could go for broke, put it all out there, and hope to win. And that's what they went for. And uh, it was just two minutes later when the... I can't even speak. When a sergeant, Josh Sargent, got on a breakaway and forced an easy save out of the keeper, but it showed the U.S. still was potent. They hadn't given up. They were still going to fight and come back into it. And heavens knows, there was a lot of time, and little did we know how much time was left in the competition. Mm -hmm. Uh, From there on, it was back and forth. Mexico seemed to, to me, to seem a little lethargic. The game was kind of slow for about 20 more minutes. Mexico was trying to beat uh, the U.S., getting in behind the back line by logging passes from midfield, mostly led to a lot of easy clearance headers for the U.S. U.S. uh, attacked uh, the zone. They were attacking. They were, oftentimes, they weren't in sync yet. What I saw in the Honduras game, they're looking to pass, make a pass to someone who'd already ran the other way. Uh, They weren't sharp in their passing. Uh, They were out of sync, but they're working into it, and they hadn't yet given up that second goal until the 20th minute when off of a short corner Paul's lobbed into the box and uh, Moreno for Mexico scores a header scores the goal and that looked like it that'd be 2-0 probably game over but there was VAR for the first time in a CONCACAF uh, final and they took a look at it and found out that Moreno was offside it wasn't offside by a lot but it's not a matter of how much it's just a matter of you're offside. Yeah. It would be like saying it shouldn't count because he's just a little offside. Well, he's not going to have a kid because his wife was a little pregnant. <laughs> These things are about on the same par yeah. there. Offside is offside. Awesome. Um, 
But that was a massive break for the U.S. If if Mexico had gone up 2-0 there, I think that genuinely the game would have been over more or less. Um, you know, not necessarily, but it really will, would have felt like that. And before it went up back for VAR review, it really felt like the wind had just been sucked entirely out of the U.S.'s sails there. But it wasn't. And uh, they did let up on that uh, on the uh, set piece, but they got bailed out. And they took full advantage immediately. Went uh, straight down the field. Uh, got a forced corner and then Christian Pulisic makes the corner. It's a great out swinging ball into the box. Weston McKinney gets up and over everyone, puts a great header on it. It hits the post and Claudio Reyna, it, Claudio Reyna, <laughs> that's his dad, who was in the stands, by the way. Uh, Gio Reyna is there to knock it in. He's in the right place, right time. He was aware and he did not muff his lines. It's tight. even the score at 1-1, and we're only 20 minutes into the game. Yeah, it was a beautiful ball from the corner from Pulisic. Uh, and then McKenny, McKenny's head the whole game from here on out is just, he's magnificent with it. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. But uh, he, he goes up uh, through traffic, gets up, gets his head to it, hits the inside of the post, and it bounces right to Gio Reyna, and he just pokes it right in, right where it needs to be. And uh, he becomes the second youngest to score against Mexico, I believe. In a final. The first, oh, youngest was actually Josie Altador, who is not here for this game. And actually not there for Toronto, but that's a story for another day. Now, after this, I thought uh, Mexico was kind of lethargic, lobbing the ball into the defense. This seemed to light a fire under them. And the game got a little more intense. And it's definitely the U.S. picked up a lot of confidence after this goal. Keep on going for the rest of the half. Basically, they threw jabs at each other, each having a big throw, nothing happening uh, until we get on to the second half. So going in at 1-1 after that horror start for the U.S. was a very good thing, and they seemed to be going in with a lot more confidence than the way they started the game, and that's for sure. Now, as we get into the second half, we're about 10 min- uh, 15 minutes in, about the 60th minute. Not a whole lot there. Desta then goes off. Timothy Weah comes on in, and Berhalter pushes Tim Ream to be the left cornerback at this time. Uh, that's a questionable call. We'll see how that works as it goes along. And it wasn't very long after that when Zach Steffen makes a save, goes out to do the goal kick, and all of a sudden crumples to the ground, holding his knee. He gets taken off, and the backup goalkeeper, Evan Horvath, who did a good showing in the Switzerland friendly, what was that, about a week ago? Uh, comes on to replace him, but it's never good in these type of situations to have to go to a backup goalkeeper. Yeah, not to foreshadow anything too much, but in my notes, I have this moment written down as the Secretary of Defense arrives. Yes. So, <laughs> but uh, one other theme that was will run through all of our conversations it showed up shortly thereafter when uh, the U.S. got another corner. It was another ball into McKinney. He got a great header on it and forced Ochoa of Mexico to make a fantastic save. Mm -hmm. But once again, McKinney was free for a header. It'll come up again. And one of the things that I was seeing on this, especially during the rewatch, is that Mexico was doing a kind of a strange thing on their set pieces, defending corners. They were setting up around the uh, six-yard box in a zonal marking, which is pretty normal now in football. Uh, but they had one guy out near the front, and he seemed to be man-marking John Brooks. Now, Brooks is a danger on headers. 
apparently they haven't watched Juventus this year because Weston McKinney is as well. And basically what the U.S. did when they had that one man away from the six-yard box and the kick came in, the U.S. would flood the zone then with extra players and the zone didn't seem to know what to do. There always seemed to be somebody open and uh, we would see that over and over in this game. Yeah, one thing I noticed when I went back to watch the highlights before we sat down here, um, McKinney was much more open on this chance than he was when he assisted on the Reina goal. The Reina goal, he was fairly well covered. He just, he just, it was a beautiful ball in from Pulisic, and he beat his man. Here, he's pretty much wide open. Um, there's really no, there. The any challenge is coming in really late. Yeah, I did notice on the first one, the uh, Mexico players seem to attack the ball more. The second one, they seem to stick to their uh, specific zones on that, and uh, it played out over and over. And uh, not a lot to say about what happened in the second half uh, up to this point, though not to say this game was incredibly entertaining. Both teams were running up and down the field. They both were taking the jabs. Mexico had most of the possession, but not all of it. The U.S. was uh, always goal dangerous, and uh, both teams were softening up their opponent but couldn't get a breakthrough. Well, that would change. We mentioned that uh, Tim Ream, St. Louis's own, was put in into the uh, left cornerback role. He's uh, been a steady performer for club and country for a while, but he's getting a little older, never was the most athletic, and he's out against some very pacey guys on the side. Mexico brings in their young teenage superstar, Diego Lainez, and uh, he goes to work on ring. First try, he takes him to the the goal line, as uh, the previous uh, winger had done. This time, he cuts into his left, Reem, well, he's made to look a fool. He's doing some sort of stutter step, just like I said, and uh, he shuffled over but couldn't get there in time. The U.S. did do a fairly good job between McKinney and McKenzie of trying to cover this. They're Mm -hmm. getting into position. All that uh, McKinney can do is stick out a leg as Linus turns and does a beautiful quick shot. Uh, And McKenzie's right there. The ball goes through McKenzie's legs. Horbath is unsighted. It's a goal. Yeah. It was, first of all, Ream left on an island when he probably shouldn't have been. There was defense there. It was also a fantastic piece of skill from a fantastic young Mexico player in Diego Lainez. And as uh, the U.S. team grows older and older, watch out for this kid. He'll be a bane in the back of the U.S. for many years, it does appear. Yeah, it was a beautiful decision from him to come back, cut through the the teeth of the defense like that, um, and he just beat Reem and um, you know and caught every kind of seemed like he caught people off guard. Yeah, his a uh, his claim to fame, his scouting report would be you know, try to keep him off his left foot. He'll kill you with that. Of course, Aaron Robin of Netherlands fame and Baron Munich, all he could do was shoot with his left foot. Everybody knew it. Everybody tried to stop it. No one could stop it. So, this is in, what, the 82nd minute? This is very late. Now Mexico is up uh, 2-1. If the early goal didn't kill him, this seemed to be a dagger. Yeah, well, yeah, um, that goal is at the 78th minute, and then at the 81st, we move on to the next point. So it's another corner to the U.S. And this time it's Gio Reyna coming in from the other side. He puts in another outswinging pass into the box. This time, Weston McKinney goes up. He gets the header, knocks he, it down in the ground, gets it past Ochoa, and doggone it, we're tied. He gets his due right when we need it, because, uh, yeah, here, like that's just a hero move right there to, to make that shot. 
It was a crazy crowd and most and uh, greatly in favor of Mexico, if not greatly, mostly. Uh, and they had been loud and into it. But this is the point to where things start to go a little nuts for everyone around the stadium. And so the U.S. has tied it up very late. It's 2-2. Looks like we're heading to extra time. Before we get there, though, uh, before the end, I think it was in the 89th or even 90th minute, uh, Chucky Lozano gets a snapshot off a great one from distance and uh, forces even Horthaf into a great save. Mm -hmm. Really kind of saved the game there. Uh, But uh, then we got seven minutes of added time to the second half because of the Stefan injury. And this is where we begin our journey into the unreal. (laughs) Welcome to madness, folks. Yes. So, early on, Mexico had a breakaway. It happened to be offside, but it forced Horvath to make another great save on this. He didn't know it was offside. It wouldn't have counted. But, uh, again, they got behind the U.S. defense, and uh, but the U.S. did not give up the goal. And then, late in the first, uh, in the added time, Hector Herrera dives in on Horvath, who made the save. He's on the ground. He dives in studs first into Horvath. Yellow card offense. Well, the U.S. team comes to Horvath's defense. They're all up in the grill. Hector Herrera decides to, in the scrum, grab Weston McKinney around the throat with one hand. Should have been a second yellow card there for that. It's a scrum. It always goes up and down the field. McKinney had none of this stuff. He was strong. He was the leader yeah. on the field. Him and John Brooks will never back down. Yeah. He was, quite frankly, scuffles. he was not having that shit. He was not having that at all. And uh, so it's a big to-do, wonderfully caught in Cacafe, and it goes on for a while, so we got a breakdown, and it spreads all the way down from the U.S. end all the way past midfield. And then as soon as they're getting ready to start play, they stop the game. Well, they stop the game because the Mexico fans started off with their air quotes, a beloved homophobic rant chant that they use, that they've been warned about, excessively about it. Well, they do it again. The Mexico players and the team on the bench really were upset with the fans. And one thing to keep in mind, I've got a good feeling that most of those fans from Mexico that were in the stands were American citizens. Yeah, speaking of things that we're not having. Yeah, yeah. and it happened again and again. And... uh the Mexico Federation did put out a statement today warning the fans against it, saying it could cost them games or perhaps even a chance to go to the next World Cup. We'll see if it helps. The Mexico fans just won't stop this chant. And uh, something that probably haven't been seen a lot by the uh, top players in Europe in their experiences in Europe, because they played in the Champions League, not the Europa League. When you get into those Eastern European countries, this happens a lot. And it's usually either homophobic, but mostly racial chants in that case. Yeah, I mean, you still hear about it. It happens everywhere, but it, it is, quite frankly, it's disgusting, and it just it needs to be done away with. And uh, even then, uh, before we finish uh, the seven minutes of added time to regular time, uh, even Horvath still had to save a nice shot by uh, Chico Lozano uh, again. It's something that goes on and on. Chucky Lozano, excuse me. So, we're heading to extra time. It wasn't there for the semifinals, but it is there for the final. And that's 15 minutes and 15 minutes, so a total of 30 minutes added to this game. And the first uh, 15 minutes was going pretty well. There wasn't a lot extra going on. Her uh, Hector Herrera, 
who did the dive on Horvath, grabbed McKinney by the neck. He also went in on Timothy Weah with a a hard challenge. Yeah. He didn't pick up the yellow card. On the replay in slow motion, you could see that his studs were up. Uh, second yellow card offense. But in the case of VAR, uh, it's outside of their realm to look at yellow cards, even if it means a second yellow card and a red card it's not to be looked at it would yeah it would have had to have been an offense that was a missed red card call yeah. for the to be challenged and it should have been a third yellow on hector herrera which is one over the limit and apparently it was noticed by tato martino uh because he pulled him off before the end of the extra period as <laughs> we keep going into it the first extra time there was a lot going on there but when we get to the second half the final let's say supposedly 15 minutes of the game this is where it gets fun <laughs> yeah doesn't it <laughs> uh this is where christian pulisic who had been pretty quiet marked out of the game uh looked really leggy and who can doubt it he won the champions league a week ago uh and is back flew back across the atlantic and played in these two games he looked tired Probably a little hungover when he got back from uh, overseas. Yeah. He was also smothered by the defense. Oh, yeah. They, they were marking him. They knew who to watch. Mm -hmm. But, as always, good players stand up in crunch time. Here he gets in the box. He's dangerous. They're all over him. They try to poke it away. They knock him down. There's no call from the ref. Pulisic gets up. But clearly, something happened on that play. So VAR intervenes and tells the ref to go take a look at it. Looking at the replay, the first look, it looks like they poked the ball away and Pulisic went down. No call. Got another angle, and it clearly looked like the uh, Mexico defender got a knee into Pulisic, knocked him down. And if not that, knocked the ball away, but the runner still has the right to get that ball by clattering into him. He stops Pulisic from having the run. Yeah. That alone is also a penalty. It looked like, yeah, it looked like they, they got Pulisic before they got the ball which is what made it a tough call on the field, but that should have been called a foul. And that was, as you can imagine, with the Mexico team and the Mexico fans, controversial enough. But even before he makes the call, when he's going to the monitor, you've got Tato Martino, the Mexican coach, going up and, first of all, as he's going to the monitor, the Mexican coaches are touching him. And he gives one a look and points at him. Yeah, it gives and, him the hand. And does it. And uh, why they put this in between the two benches, uh, I'm not sure about that. But it's right by the fourth official. That comes into play. Then, as he's going up and he's at the monitor, Tato Martino comes up and puts an arm around him. Uh, the official immediately flashes a red card, looks very angry at this point. There is no, the laws of the game are clear. You can't touch the official. And they clearly did. It didn't seem to be angry whether he's just, you know, touching him, but he shouldn't be there. And it did look like he was trying to influence him as he made the call, or perhaps distract him. So, the coach gets a red card. Hector Herrera didn't, but Tato Martino did. Meanwhile, while all this scuffle and to-do, far for all, is going on on the sidelines, uh, Maurice Odu, covering the game, notices that the uh, Mexican players are out digging up with their cleats the penalty spot, as Christian Pulisic had grabbed the ball to go do it. Uh, Pulisic's record on penalty kicks, well, I can't remember ever seeing him take one or, or any for club or country. And I guess it's kind of spotty. So he sets it down. I'm nervous. But he steps up and he sends an absolute rocket into the upper 90. Into the upper right-hand corner. Just, oh, Ochoa guessed right? 
but he couldn't get to that. That was a great penalty take by Pulisic. He actually said after the game, he says, I'm not going out quietly. I'm just going to give it all I got and go top bin and see what happens. Yeah, I think this kid might be good or something. I don't know. Yeah, he's got a future (laughs) in the game. Uh, So, as you imagine, the fans are rather upset. And the U.S. team goes into the corner. They're celebrating. They're having a great time. Right in front of the Mexico fans. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, Gio Reyna, who had come out of the game, he had been substituted at this point. He's over there celebrating, and debris coming on the field, and something hits him in the head. Looked like he took a water bottle yeah. right to the dome. Yeah. Empower uh, Field in uh, Denver was starting to look like the Azteca. Mm. Oh, heavens be when we go to the Azteca and World Cup qualifying. Seahawks goes into Gold Cup. It won't be the same players. That could be bad as well. If it, I don't know if they'll be there in the Gold Cup. I'd have to look at that. So, U.S. is up 3-2. It's late in the game. Everything looks good. But About 10 minutes later. <laughs> everything looks good. U.S. just has to hold on. But again, they've played a long game. Very emotionally, mentally taxing, uh, physically exhausting uh, as a matter of fact, just before the penalty on Pulisic, I was watching with Mason and told him, you know, they're getting tired. This is the time when you get a silly foul in the uh, box. Uh, wait to see if the kids from the U.S. do it. Or maybe Mexico. And lo and behold, it wasn't, what, a minute or two later? Mexico committed the foul on Pulisic. Yeah. So we're at uh, the 119th minute. We're near the end of what should be regular time in extra time. Well, Mexico's got the ball in the box. It gets deflected wide. It's out. All of a sudden, the Mexico players go nuts. They're calling for a handball. They take it to VAR. And uh, poor old Mark McKenzie gave up the first goal. He was there in front of the shooter. I don't remember who it was. Uh, But as he's running, his arm comes a little way from his body. It was a natural position. But uh, the laws are pretty straight. It's not in his silhouette. It hit his hand in the box. He's in front of the shooter. On slow motion, if you take away his natural movement, the fluid movement, like, say, in a dancer, you slow it down, it does kind of look like he's leaning away and throwing an arm out to block it. Mm-hmm. It's a contentious penalty. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he was a foot away from the shooter, too. Yeah. He wouldn't have had time to block that with his hand. That's uh, a harsh call. And especially then, maybe a makeup call. The uh, ref did take about three, four minutes at the monitor, mm-hmm. and VAR is supposed to be for clear and obvious, you know, changes to the call on the field, which call on the field was no penalty. Why did it take so long? Obviously, it wasn't clear and obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they give it the penalty. Andres Guardado, the uh, captain of the Mexican team, uh, has, <laughs> what a, I don't even know, well over 100 caps. He has more, 100 more caps than the most capped U.S. player on the roster for this game. He steps up to take the penalty. Even Horvath, the backup goalkeeper, who only played 270 minutes for Club Brews in Belgium this year, hardly even played, he's got he's to defend this kick. What we didn't see too much, and some follow-ups I have heard, uh, meanwhile, Kellen Acosta, while they're doing the VAR and all this, and he's getting ready to do the kick and all the screaming yelling that always goes on with the referee at this time, He's up just talking to Guardado. Doesn't seem to be anything heated. Not in his face. Just standing next to him. Talking. Talking. He doesn't leave. The Mexican players come in to get him off. He just sounded like, oh, oh, what? Am I in the way? 
He just stands there, and then they all start gathering around. Guardado's in the middle of all this, so there has to be some distractions there. Apparently, because his penalty kick, it was low to Horvath's right. It was hard, but it was close. And... The Secretary of Defense delivers. He makes the biggest save of possibly his life. One thing that I want to say is uh, I was listening to uh, the Stadio podcast earlier with Musa and Ryan. One thing they flag up is a lot of people were saying like, oh, that wasn't a very good kick, you know, all that. No, that was a bullet. It looked worse than it was because Horvath made a, a great save on it. Really got a really solid hand on it. Made it look worse than it was. That was a bullet. It was a bullet, but it was too close to the keeper. It, 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 it was low, not high. So Horvath had to be reactive. He had to have a strong hand to knock it away, but it was within his reach. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't anything like Ochoa had no chance on Pulisic's kick. That would have been one of the greatest saves of all time yeah. if he had saved it. But Horvath does it. He saved it. This is the end of the game. Uh, except they add five more excruciating minutes to live through till the end of the game. Meanwhile, projectiles are coming on the field. At one point, the, there was a foul on the sideline, and the Mexican fans throwing their bottles and everything else on the field. Hit a Mexican player. It looks like they were throwing shoes, even. <laughs> uh, going, one, going George W. Bush on it. One thing with the electronic revolution, at least there's not a lot of D batteries out here like they used <laughs> to throw on the field back in the day. Uh, fish. Uh, the... Just batshit crazy game. This game was nuts. Yeah. Full on CONCACAF. We still had, before this game could end, more scuffles, more to-dos, and a pitch invader on the field. And after it's all said and done, U.S. wins! Yeah. They won in a crazy CONCACAF game against Mexico. They kept their head together. They actually... Mexico maybe fell apart a little bit more than the U.S. It was an exciting game and a great win for a young team that had hardly played together. Now they've already got a trophy. Great job. Yeah, it was tons of fun to watch, too. It was, uh, I don't know necessarily about the skill. Uh, It looked a little sloppy here and there, but it was, God, it was great fun to actually watch that game. (laughs) It was also just mentally exhausting. Yeah, there was a lot of heart-in-your-throat moments. Oh, it was so conca-caffy. Uh, it, w- it wasn't peak CONCACAF with the fights, the debris onto the field, uh, coach getting red carded, three VAR interruptions, uh, interruption for, you know, homophobic chants coming in through the crowd. Everybody's saying it has to be peak CONCACAF. I did come up with one, though, that would have made it more. What if when Pulisic set up, set up to make that penalty and Ochoa saved it, but then he'd been judged to be off the line? And Pulisic would have put it in on the second try. That's the only thing that was, that is the only thing that was missing from this game. Yeah. And uh, quite frankly, I don't think we needed any more excitement. <laughs> no, I couldn't, have, I just couldn't bear it. Somebody, I've seen some various counts, but the, with all the delays, all the added time, the clock ran for 144 minutes instead of the 120. Yeah. This was exhausting exhilarating and i think most of all of us who are fans and i'm sure you are a listener you're watching it did you sleep well did you go to sleep right after that game was over <laughs> i At know i didn't 12 30 or whenever it was it was 11 it was late what a game what a game and uh the u.s held on they kept themselves together and uh it was 
just a great game for this young team to play. That's all I was looking for. To have it go down, for them to fight, even if they hadn't won, it would have been a great game for the development of this young team. Mm-hmm. But they kept it together and did win. What a huge victory. Yeah. And especially to kick off the Nations League. This was the inaugural uh, tournament for that. Um, and <laughs> what a final for your first time around. Yeah, and these teams weren't playing really for the trophy of the Nations League. They were playing because they were playing each other. Yeah. Uh, this could have been in this could have been in the early stages of World Cup qualifying with games to go. It still is like this. What a game. What a match. Uh, looking at some of the players, uh, two that really stood out was Weston McKinney. He was everywhere. Mm-hmm. He was on those headers. He was in the midfield. Uh, always seemed to be in the passing lanes. He was the one, one, the one player that was bottling up the midfield. He had a partnership when Kellen uh, Acosta was in the midfield. They seemed to play very well together. But McKinney was clearly the man of the match, except for our new Secretary of Defense. Sorry, Tim Howard, you've been kicked out of the job, but you've held on to it for eight years. Even Horvath, what he did is astounding. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, because uh, Horvath won the official man of the match. I was torn between him and McKinney because, God, McKinney was just fantastic in that game. But, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why I called him the Secretary of Defense. You got to give it to the kid. Oh, it, it was and what a story as well. He, he's from the area, I think less than an hour's drive from the field. So he had friends and family there. Mm-hmm. He came off a season where he never played. He's now out of contract. But yeah. What a way to get a new contract. Yeah, I, I, and uh, I saw a clip on Twitter, I think earlier today or maybe uh, last night when I was uh, doing a little looking around of him and his family uh, down at the stands. And that was emotional to see. But yeah, just what an incredible story for the kid. Also, Claudio Reyna there with his wife and family right down at the end when uh, Gio Reyna got the goal Mm -hmm. at the age of 18 in a Mexico game against Mexico in a final. That was great to see as well. Uh, Another one that was very impressive to me was John Brooks. Mm -hmm. Picked up an early yellow card. You think he's not going to be tough. He's going to have to come out of the challenges. He has his limitations, but he was a rock. Yeah. He can get stretched if you pull him out, and the U.S. was playing a very high line again, uh, but he was a rock. Yeah, he did a great job just being solid throughout the game. Um, Very much a a solid foundation for everyone to kind of build off of. Yeah, that was it. There was one moment when he wasn't a rock. There's a photo of uh, when Pulisic was taking his penalty. (laughs) Brooks couldn't watch. He had turned completely away from the the shot. It's actually, you could see it on the replay. He's he's kind of walking towards the the Jumbotron, and he's watching it on there. And then as Pulisic starts celebrating and running towards the corner, you can see Brooks put his hands up in disbelief. (laughs) And uh, one dimension is Mark McKenzie. He made a horrible mistake in the first minute. Could have destroyed him. Yeah, He actually... Wasn't as strong, a little shaky. A couple of uh, of his passes out of the back, and the U.S. keep trying to pass out of the back through varying degrees of success. Uh, but that's the way Burhalter wants it. They want U.S. fans. The organization have wanted a more of this possession control type of team. So you got to work through this and learn. And this team's very young. I'll keep saying it because they are very young. Yeah. Uh, McKenzie, yeah, he he made that that horrible pass in the first minute, uh, led to that early goal, but that could have just ruined his game. He kind of buried it, um, put it in the pass, put it behind him, and put in a solid effort. Solid. Um, 
on that uh that first big save from uh, McKenney um on that corner uh there was a corner right after that McKenzie took and had a really good look as well yes he did uh forced to save so the US on set pieces had really scouted out the Mexican team uh Tato Martino and that strategy was just laid waste by what the US did by pulling all their uh players out and then going into the box. It really helps if you've got Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna as the ones putting the ball in the box. Mm-hmm. As for Gio Reyna, I haven't necessarily... Of course, he's skillful. We know that. He's a great talent. Uh, he's used to being the best player on his team, and I've seen a lot of times when he's in the national team, he seems to play like he's the best player on the field like he did when he was a kid. He's not. There may not be any better, but he's got teammates who are certainly worthy. This time, he played a team game. There was a moment when uh, Reem was up against it when he was on the side. All of a sudden, here comes somebody flying in to poke the ball away. It's Reyna mm-hmm. doing the defensive work. Another one that did the defensive work was Josh Sargent. Another rough outing for him in the front end, but his work rate is phenomenal. Yeah, and this kind of harkens back to a, a thing that happened in the Honduras game. Uh, in that game, Stefan kind of misread a ball, and it, there was a goal. It, it was a goal, and Sargent charges in and saves it. That was the play head. of the game Yeah, to even get to this final. If Sargent doesn't save that, the U.S. may not have played Mexico to have this yeah. batshit, crazy, exhausting, wonderful, awful, terrible, great CONCACAF <laughs> game Be- that we had in the final. Yeah. yeah, but that's kind of like one of the storylines of kind of the games that we've covered the, from the Switzerland friendly up to here is kind of Sargent's improvement just over that little bit of stretch of time. He was really shaky in that Switzerland friendly, looked a lot better in the Honduras game because right after he saved that goal with his with the header, he then like pretty much took it upfield himself and had a real had a decent look. Um, and then uh, he had the first dangerous chance uh, for the U.S. in the Mexico game all on his own. He was without support on that break. That was right after the early goal and mm-hmm. showed the U.S. was still going to Mexico better pay attention. Yeah. This team can hurt them, and they did. Uh, Stefan went down with that mysterious injury. Still haven't heard what it is. I, Hopefully it's not bad, but yeah. a non-contact injury holding your knee is never good. Yeah, I heard something about like muscle stiffness or something. Because it seemed like he was up on his feet uh, when they would cut to him after like he's, after celebrating like the big Horvath save. Looked like he was up on his feet, so hopefully nothing too serious, but enough that he couldn't play. But uh, he had a he had a couple of big saves before he went out as well. Oh, he played very well. Yeah, uh, he was in charge. They're still passing out of the back. I just playing out of the back as a rule instead of getting rid of it when there's a press on is not necessarily always the best play. You get burned as the U.S. did in the first minute of the game, yeah. as they got burned against uh, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had a good game. Hopefully, he's all right. I'm sure um, Manchester City was also <laughs> looking at that like, yeah, distraught. <laughs> he's our backup. Um, Tyler Adams has been injured, hardly ever gets to play with these guys. He did come in in the 80th minute of regular time, and without being outstanding or really something to be noticed, the game sort of changed. The U.S. defense got better. Mm-hmm. He is when I said one of the things I was looking for is more defensive awareness. One player on this squad that is always aware of where the danger is coming from is Tyler Adams. His work rate, chasing down, his speed, his ability to cover ground really helped uh, take care of the problems that they were having with getting behind as the game went into extra time. It's still not clear. There's a lot to work on there. A lot of learning still to do from this team. 
but uh, that was a great thing to see. Now, one thing we did not see to the dismay of onlookers was Eunice Musa never got a run out in the Honduras game or with the final here against Mexico. These games would have captied him to the U.S. He didn't play. It was crying out for someone to hold the ball in midfield and held possession at certain times in this game and in the Honduras game. And he wasn't in there. No idea why. We don't know what happened on the training field. Was he slow to get up? Did he have a niggling injury? Or, our big fear, is he rethinking joining the U.S. team? Because he's not captied, he can still switch back to England. Time will tell, and yep. we'll see. And uh, that pretty much wraps up an exhilarating, batshit crazy game. U.S. 3, Mexico 2. Whew. Yeah. I, Just a rewatch, I'm exhausted, mentally yeah. exhausted. Loved it, but it's... <laughs> Beautiful and terrifying. <laughs> yes, that, that, that is uh, exactly <laughs> what it was. I wrote down on my notes after the end of the game, I go, good Lord, what a game. Thank God it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back, but you're both wearing party hats. And I do want to be clear about one thing. It's fantastic that this young team won. It, it really is great. But to play this game and have lost it at the end and switch off fashion... Would also have been great for this young team. Especially in the fashion that they played. That was the big thing, was the stick the mindset, the uh, the confidence of the of them. Um, it, yeah, win, win or lose, it would have been a great showing for them. It's just, it's even better that they won. So many of the key players on this team have never played meaningful games against CONCACAF. As a matter of fact, some of them had never played a meaningful game, the competitive game, until the Honduras game. So just getting competitive games is so important to this squad. They haven't hardly played together. But then to go out and do it against Mexico, and Mexico played very well, pretty well. I would yeah. say it was a great game. Yeah. Both teams got things to work on. But uh, what a win. Yeah, and then uh, a little bit on that Mexico comment. Uh, this is something that Musa and Ryan on on Stadio had flagged up as well. Was um, this wasn't a great Mexico team, but you never want to play against Mexico because you lose even a half step on them and they'll burn you. Yes, luckily Mexico did not have Jonathan Dos Santos or Raúl Jiménez. They're both out due to injuries. That could have been a difference. And Chicharito was not called in, even though he had lit it up in MLS this year after a poor year last year. But that's about all of our coverage for this game. Uh, right now, we're going to take a quick break, and I want to say a few words about MLS and what came down last week when they busted Inter-Miami for having not one too many, but two too many designated players last year. Uh, we'll be back right after this. See you on the other side. Welcome back to the Soccer Capital Podcast. Uh, that would have been the spot for a sponsor. Uh, right now, we don't have a sponsor. The space is available. Maybe, Mason, we should make up a sponsor. I think after that uh, Mexico game last night, Zanuck would be a good one. <laughs> anyway, uh, going on, there's a little bit of old news from MLS, but I found it fascinating and important, and I thought I'd get to share some observations and thoughts about it. It uh, involves Inter-Miami. And uh, MLS's sanctions on them for having one too many DP. Well, they did their investigation. Turns out they had two too many DPs on their roster. They also were hiding uh, payments to some of the players. And uh, they got fined the club 
$2 million by MLS. Uh, the majority owner, or managing director, I should say, Jorge Mas, got fined $250,000. They were docked their allocation money by $2.2 million over 2022 and 2023. And Paul McDonough, who was their general manager or in charge of soccer operations for Inter Miami, was suspended through the end of 2022 and had to quit his job at United, uh, Atlanta United, where he was vice president of soccer operations. These are some pretty stiff fines from MLS, and uh, the investigation was light enlightening because Inter Miami was playing fast and loose with the rules. What it was, was they determined that when Inter-Miami signed Blaise Matuidi, coming from Italy, uh, and it was announced as a TAM signing, everybody wondered how that could be. Now, the LA Galaxy had signed Zlatan Ibrahimovic on a TAM deal, uh, and when his was done, they found out that uh, he also had stake in IMG and had bought half of Hammerby that was owned by IMG in the Swedish league. But... He was out of the league. There was no way to trace what was going on and how that happened. Zlatan's made a lot of money. Could be on the up and up, right? Right. But in this case, LA Galaxy has a long history of hiding these things. It's the word on the street, so to speak. Inter-Miami, on the other hand, perhaps didn't really try to hide this, or they did an extremely poor job of it. Now, Jorge Mas only got fined $250,000, and uh, he, that might have been mitigated because he MLS did say that he was open and uh, working with the investigation. David Beckham, the famous uh, owner in the ownership group of Inter Miami, was found, as well as Jorge, Jose Mas, as not being involved, and there was no sanctions against them at all. Those are some tough numbers, but for billionaire owners... They can handle that. The embarrassment's bad, but the allocation money, that's a big deal. That's a lot of money. $2.2 million. They've already had to send Matias Pellegrini, who was one of their original designated players, and a young player down to, they put him on loan to Fort Lauderdale in the USL. He hasn't suited up for him. He's just spending the year training with Inter Miami this year. He's not on the roster. I'm sure he's not happy. His contract's up. Anything, he's out. That's not a good thing. It's extremely embarrassing. And uh, they also were found to have underreported the budgetary numbers for Leandro Gonzalez Perez, Nicolas Figal, and Julian Carranza. Now, the uh, besides Blaise Matuidi, they also found that Andreas Reyes, who came in on loan from Atletico Nacional in uh, Colombia, should have, with the actual numbers that he was paid, did qualify as a designated player. That's how they ended up with five. The way they came down hard on this when they've gone wink-wink at some of these other deals means that Inter-Miami really was passing cash in an envelope under the table or someone in their circle didn't keep their mouth shut and told uh, someone on an opposing team or someone in MLS or they opened their mouth and asked a question they shouldn't have. How did MLS know? Intriguing questions. The reporters on this did not know. It is fascinating given that uh, MLS has been, they'd work with teams to make these deals on these big players. They want them in the league. Sometimes if you worked with them, they'd find a way to work just on the shady edges of the contracts. And to say that uh, this isn't happening with other teams doesn't really make a difference. I'm sure it is. 
Some have said that the MLS should do an audit of all the clubs. MLS does not want to open that up. But they may demand more. Uh, they may be more intrusive when the numbers are created if they have a question on this. It's a big deal. It really is. For Inter-Miami is not a good team, despite signing everybody in the world on you know contracts that they couldn't pay in a salary cap league. Losing that TAM money means that they can't build up their team they can't find bench players. They can't find role players. They're going to be really having to develop through the academy, sign players from USL, sign casts off, looking for other players that are out there that are out of contract, maybe not that good, that they can bring in because they're losing the amount of money that they can pay these players in salary under a salary cap league. Whether that's right or wrong in MLS, that's rules of MLS. You want to play this game, and they got involved, and they're building a stadium. They're all in. You got to play by the rules. So somebody thought that they were better or bigger or smarter than they actually were. And uh, it's a really a black eye on the league. It's extreme black eye for Inter-Miami. They just played their first full stadium game in front of fans in their temporary Fort Lauderdale home. Lost to sad DC United 3-0 and got booed by their home fans. Not the way you want to start. Uh, David Beckham's getting his $10 million worth out of a franchise fee that should have been $250 million. He's making to pay through just sweat equity and embarrassment with what's going on here. So that's the big deal that was in MLS. I thought it intriguing. I'm interested in knowing how it goes, how things get set up, how that's going to affect St. Louis City going forward as they try to build their team and they're going to have to watch their p's and q's and everything that goes on it they might have to play a little closer to the vest and not be freewheeling even if that's in their plans i'm not so sure that it ever was in their plans to be honest but we'll see how that goes so that'll wrap up this episode of the soccer capital podcast thank you for joining us Big news uh, coming up in the next week is there will be a friendly for the U.S. men's national team against Costa Rica on Wednesday. That would have been the other team that the U.S. would have played if Costa Rica had not lost to Mexico in penalty kicks in the semifinals of the Nations League. Don't know how exciting that's going to be after the competitive final against Mexico that we just watched. But we might get some of the run-in by the players that weren't on the uh, that were on the roster but didn't get play during the actual tournament. So that's it for me. I'm your host, Mike Turner. With me is my producer, Mason. And we will be joining you very soon to talk about other things in the world of soccer. Thank you for joining us. Bye for now.